Welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I am joined here by Steven. Guten and, Tag. And Brad. Hello. The Dream Team. That's right. Yeah. And today on the podcast, we have one of our most popular guests, Dave Bazan, and he is joined by Matt Cadane. Um, you may know Dave from Pedro the Lion or his super successful solo career, and you know Matt from the New Year and Bedhead. Dave was in headphones too, right? Dave was also in headphones, yes. Or not? With uh, I was just T.W. Headphones. Walsh, who was also here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we had, we had a special guest yeah. hanging out. T.W. is awesome. You should check out all of his solo stuff. My favorite T.W. solo record is called Blue Laws, and I bought the CD when I lived in Ohio, and he sent it to me and wrote a note on it. Very nice. I thought that was cool. I don't think that happens anymore because people don't buy CDs. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, can't Dave, write on this digital download pen breaking. You Dave, can't include some metadata? You can't like a little note in the metadata? I don't know. MP3? You, you probably could, actually. You but I would that. probably never see it. <laughs> I can barely get my iTunes to work. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Matt and Dave are in this band overseas. Last week we had on Bubba Kadane and Will Johnson to talk about it. This week we switched it up with the other two members, talked about the band, their lives, everything. Um, overseas are great. Check out their self-titled record and listen to last week's podcast if you want to catch up. And without further ado, Overseas, part two. It's going off track! So today on Going Off Track, our guests are Dave Bazan and Matt Cadane. You know Dave from Page of the Lion, Headphones, and Overseas. Mm-hmm. Matt also in Overseas, Bedhead, The New Year. This is and the second of our two parts Overseas series. Yes, and also in the room, <laughs> T.W. Walsh. Welcome. You don't have a mic, so just nod. Doesn't have a mic, but <laughs> well also amazing musician. So <laughs> great chemistry in here, I think. This, this is kind of it. We've, we've only once done one full band, and it was a trio, so it worked. Mm-hmm. And so this is our first. We're going to split it up, and I think it's working very lovely. Yeah, um, th- Although those guys talked a lot of shit about you. I did they? Kind of I what, did they, what did they say? Yeah. <laughs> it, was, I, uh, it was pretty rough. Um, Jonah too, actually, Dave. I don't know if he... <laughs> I, asked about, I asked how much of a diva you were during this whole process. Well, I haven't showed up for one load-in yet. Yeah, I would say. I miraculously 100%. have missed. How does that happen? It, it does seem intentional, I'm sure. Yeah. It's certainly not. We thought we were going to be late, so we called, and you guys show up 10 minutes after we do, and right after I put down the last guitar case. And I'm in no position to move this stuff. <laughs> um, you're, you're on your last... That's it. I mean, yeah, one close more to the end. Yeah, this, is, this is pretty much... So we got the story of how Overseas kind of came together, and it seems to me that the four of you have unlocked the secret to having a fully collaborative, successful, fun recording process. What is the secret? That's what no one else could tell us. Okay. All right. Um, tell us, Dave. Um, I mean, I think that that's true to, to a certain degree in terms of our own. I mean, we had fun making music together, and I think that we didn't expect that we were going to make a record. Mm-hmm. I, and I only realized this. We talked about it in Dallas, mm-hmm. that maybe we were all going to do a tour together right. and each player individual um, songs and then do something together at the end and maybe we'd write an EP and, and do it. And so I think that our expectations were low. Um, there is a hierarchy um, and we all have our role in the hierarchy and I, I mean you and 
uh, Matt and Bubba, I think you guys are the veto guys. <laughs> um, and Bubba is like the, I guess he's kind of the taskmaster. Yeah. And also, once we record everything, it all gets collected by him and taken back to his house, and he kind of massages things and sorts it out. And we trust him to do that. No I, one. I ask. I've been asking Bubba permission to do everything my whole life. Can I do this, Bubba? <laughs> No, I don't think no. you should do that. I don't. We the, he used to be called Inspector Twelve. Is that right? His AOL email address from whenever was Inspector Twelve. Yeah. yeah, he's older, and I, you know, he's Bubba's pretty pretty adept at thinking through outcomes. Yeah. Um, and so, if there's likely to be something wrong um, inherent in something that we're doing, he'll notice it before. Like it's not going to work because, because this wasn't to a click or, you know, what he just sees through all that stuff. Yeah. He's, he's pretty great. And also he, he, I feel like making records is mostly arranging things so that you can get perspective on what you're doing in time to make crucial decisions about it. And that's a really difficult thing to do. And sometimes people are just innately talented and, it doesn't matter because everything that they do is great. And sometimes there's somebody else, like a producer, who you you could just throw up on the tape and the producer sorts it out and gets the perspective. But somebody's got to have perspective about it. And I think that Bubba, it takes him time to get perspective on it. But once he does, it's like he just knows the finishing touches. He knows how to kind of which direction to go. Mm-hmm. So, I, th- I mean... There is a hierarchy. It's not like a, a rock and roll democracy, which I don't believe in anyways. I mean, I think it's so rare that that actually... Fugazi is one that I think is the only one I can really think of that actually is functions that way, and it worked for a really long time. But I think there's got to be a boss. Yeah, why I think, CW I think so. didn't get a mic? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure Walsh doesn't believe in him either. <laughs> yeah. I remember learning that in college and being like, there has to be, you know, for lack of a better term, the asshole. And I, mm-hmm. and I don't mean that as like as negative as it sounds, but someone has to be like, like Bubba. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Bubba's not here to defend himself. <laughs> but you know, someone to go, all right, like, can we do this? Yeah. yeah let's yeah. do it. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. All right. He, he's the first guy who'll look at his watch when we've gone on some tangent and, you know, maybe we're no longer even having a good time, but yeah. we still feel compelled to talk about something. He's like, you, you know, he's about to say, <laughs> we got to get back to this. <laughs> we've got six more hours in the day when we're actually going to feel like practicing. So we yeah. have to get back to it. And that's, that's great. You know, so Taskmaster is, natu- is actually not a bad way to... Well, and everybody... Resp- I, I don't think that there's anybody... Maybe... Well, you were joking, but I don't think that there's anybody in the group who doesn't feel like that Bubba's role, especially as the guy who leaves with all the tracks and right. doing all that stuff, that A, we don't trust him implicitly with it, and that B, we would have it any other way. I mean, right. it's just the roles just fell together pretty naturally. Right. And I think we all feel comfortable, you know, in that. And so that was a that was a a blessed right. thing. Yeah, there's a, I, I mean, we Bubba and I have been thinking about this story lately um, for other reasons, but... I was always with with Bedhead. I was the guy who did all the recording in the very beginning. Those first seven inches, I recorded and I yeah. set up the mics for him and everything. And when we when we first went into the studio, or when we went into the studio to record that first record, we had the sixteen track studio. And I yeah. thought, well, when you put 
a bunch of mics up and put everything on three tracks on the four track and reserve the fourth for vocals, it sounds pretty great. So we should put a bunch of mics up and have 15 tracks of music and then one track for vocals. And those 15 tracks will just be an impression of the same thing from yeah. a slightly different angle. And it is such a, a like, can I cuss? It's, yes. I've lost it anyway. It's such a nightmare. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. It's, you know, that, that record is such a nightmare. It can never be remixed. But after that being my idea, I was like, you're off the job. <laughs> I'm in charge of mixing these things. I'm in charge of thinking about bad outcomes and yeah. all that. So that's when, you know, I basically submitted to the Leviathan and, you know, lost all power. Well, and that, that's a good point that a lot of why this band works is because Matt and Bubba have worked out their working relationship for for years and that yeah. you guys have a rapport you guys have a way of doing stuff that i think kind of es- established a culture for yeah. the way that we do the, the way that we do stuff and will and i you know are are happy to kind of come in and fit in although we take the reins in our own way right often and you guys haven't i mean it, and that's been okay i mean there certainly is you know, there's moments where in that in that first session where I'm standing there with a the guitar on, and two of my musical heroes are standing, looking at me, shaking their heads, going, "No, that's no good." And I'm just like, "Come on, guys! Like, this is a cool guitar part." And, that, and Matt and Bubba were like, "No," and Bubba's like, "The thing I don't like about it is that it moves like this and this." And I was like, "Yeah, that's the part. Like, that's what makes the part the part." And he's like, "Yeah, I don't. I'm not really into that kind of thing." And it's just like. and i thought of myself listening to you know their bedhead record beheaded in my car when i'm like 19 thinking like if i would have known that basically these two guys whose record i'm obsessing over are pointing at me and laughing in a studio (laughs) in texas sometime (laughs) that it it would be a a mixed it is a boner killing moment yeah 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 yeah. so there is conflict but what we're all of us believe in that that just beyond any sort of stagnant moment that there's a moment like you know this for us this song redback strike which is the second song on the record i think yeah. um it was just a it it emerged out of nothing and then we had this we just made up this song out of thin air right that we like and that makes right. us feel something interesting and that seems unique to us and so i think that right off the bat because we had a couple of moments like that then we're like if if we just stick with it long enough then this will right right and i think because we had that kind of song uh it was more acceptable to have other kinds of songs that that originated more with a particular member of the band yeah or maybe more conventional or something i mean and but that was a a really exciting moment that that song um you know what is it about repetition with musicians and i mean this in in the structure way where i one of the reasons i don't play anything is just for lack of willpower to sit and practice and do something Mm. a laziness they call it Mm -hmm. um but when you're in a when you're in a (laughs) yeah but when you write a song you write a song okay there's something here and then you play it again and there's something here and you play it again yeah and if you're working with three other guys who are also songwriters okay all right let's do this again let's do this again and it just seems there's got to be some uh rush or Mm. high from it Mm -hmm. that one i just don't am not addicted to but that's why i think what amazes me about music in general is i can't 
function that way. And I'm fascinated by people who can. Yeah. Or it's like an obsessiveness, I think, too. Because yeah, you want it is. to be, like, you're yeah. obsessed with this, like, and you want right. it to happen. And you want it to, like, okay, this is going to work. We're going right. to make this happen. And there's right. faith. There's like a, there's a faith that the, the, that the four of us shared in an outcome that was not guaranteed right. by any stretch. But there was just a, there was a vision that we all kind of shared for a minute. And, but even then, even then, like, I'm sure that around the room, people are alternately being skeptical of what they're doing mm-hmm. and then thinking, oh, but this is kind of, this is, you feel something happening. And then maybe they're skeptical about what one of the other people is doing. And it's just this alternating sort of current. Right. I mean, it, it is really pleasurable to feel like you're latching onto something. And so you play it over and over again because you derive pleasure from it. It sounds good to you, like you playing that lame part that, that you know, you <laughs> well, didn't realize that there was, was a skepticism early and then later you <laughs> right. were like, oh, this is actually cool. No, that's, that's true. Okay, we, we recognize <laughs> I love how it. you were uh. subjective about it, though. Yeah, that lame part. You <laughs> <laughs> Shitty baseline. But. Yeah. But, I, but, you you get obsessed because you're deriving pleasure from it. I think too. Yeah. It's and and the thing that's really nice about this band is that we all trust each other. So when something's not working out, even if it feels really good, we either uh, those who don't think it sounds great come around because they're they're able to buy the explanation of the person who's really getting off on playing it, or or we talk that person out of it. But yeah. um, and your ego gets wrapped up in those moments for sure. I mean, to to, to say slightly more about the song "Redback Strike," we we needed something. Uh, and we said, let's just all go in different rooms and come up with a part and we'll bring the parts together and try to make them work. And, um, and I know when Bub and I came back in with our parts, uh, did you have it? Was it a key? Did you guys agree on it? No, but we could train, we transposed them easily enough, but one of us had to switch uh, a a little phrase within the part and I wasn't going to switch. I'm like, (laughs) I know this is perfect. <laughs> you got to switch, and we'll move that around. And it, it would have been just as good had I switched and, and yeah. he not. And we fine tuned some different. But that seems very typical of that process of creation. You, you're you're just so wrapped up in it. You can't believe there's anything wrong with it. And even when you're willing to give to these other guys who are or, well, who you trust, it's still hard to shed yeah. the ego. Well, but and somebody has to insist. And it, I don't think it, that it, in our band it's the same person every time mm-hmm. who's insisting. But even if it is, as long as everybody accepts that that insistence that wins is more valid, right? Ultimately, then that's fine. It's like in you know marriage counseling or whatever. They this I, it seems like for manipulative people it wouldn't work at all. But like they say, okay, you're having a disagreement. One person wants chicken for dinner and one person wants pizza or whatever. And so you just give your feeling about it, a, you, the intensity of your feeling, a number. And whoever has the highest number wins. And you just have to be honest about that thing. And I remember thinking, like, if that, there's so much trust that is involved in doing that, that you would have to trust that people are really being honest about, mm-hmm. the, about their number. And I think that that's what being in a band is like, is like when you and Bubba right. were doing that, like your number was higher yeah. and it just was. And Bubba's wasn't as high. And so he, you know, he gave way to your thing. And in that situation, you know, I'm certainly kind of, I mean, on the drums, Will's got it easy because you just play a beat for right. a little bit and then you right. start to fine tune, but no one's questioning that you're playing drums and right. you're just playing the drums and nobody's like, are you sure you should be playing drums right now? It's like, no, this is what you have to do. <laughs> right. But I remember I was just kind of like, I'm laying back 
basically trying not to get yelled at for the for the, at the beginning. Yeah, you know, and then and then once I get an idea and I start to turn myself on in the context of this other thing that they've made, then I start to stick my neck out. And then if there are frowns or kind of glares or whatever, I just disregard it because fuck them. (laughs) I'm going to write this baseline and lobby for it because, because I believe in it and that, but if I get glares, I mean, up until that point I would have gotten, you know, you pick up on vibes, you pick up on Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. And I would have gotten vibes and I was unsure of what I was doing. And so I would just keep moving on to the next way of weaving in and out of what they were doing. And you lobby for things very disarmingly, and and I think that's helpful too. Um, it, it would be hard to say no to a guy who's just like, you know, I I don't know, is this okay? Do you think this is okay? Uh, and if and it's it's clear so when, you, yeah, no, I mean, and you know, you're being worked over, even as you allow yourself to, to be worked over. But I, I think also, uh, you know, you can tell when someone's really committed to something, and because there's affection and trust and all those things, you're willing to revise your number yeah. if you need to yeah. or whatever. And, and yeah, we do, I mean, we, I've loved you since we've known you. We love Will. I mean, you just, you know, that's a big part of it too. Just I think that's that, why the, yeah. the band works. And even last night, like, so we're in, uh, we played the Mercury Lounge last night and we're playing a, a show in Brooklyn tonight. And I think there was some trepidation because, you know, it's been two weeks since we played and every, some people were a little drunk and it was, <laughs> You know, there was disclaimers flying before we started to play, like, you know, I'm sorry if it's like this. And I remember just feeling like um, it doesn't matter to me. Like, I'm just happy to sink or swim with the the other three of these guys. And I I think when something happens when you get to a certain point where it's like, look, we're not going to make any money off of this. Like, we're not we're not trying to get big. We're just trying to have a good time ultimately. And once we all agree on that, then it's just like people could hate this. And if we had a good time, then we win. I mean, we'll still do it. We get to do this again because that's the, you know, and so I think that that's a big part of it too, that it gets to a certain point that like you are willing to say, you know, I think that's a kind of a weird musical idea, but I like these people and I'm going to just go with it and see where right. it goes and reserve judgment where you would normally be like thumbs down. Right. You know, and you can, you can tacitly fix things too in an ensemble. So if, if, you know, it's, it might be harder with a really foundational thing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you can do everything you can to disrupt the meaning of something that you don't like with I take other back notes. everything I said, <laughs> it's completely different than the previous podcast. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are, we are actually sort of criticizing those guys, aren't we? Well, no, I mean, no, I, I, like, I think that we, I think that we all have little ways of sort of lovingly manipulating the the other three people and the process, right. but that, but not in a, any kind of malicious way, no. No. just in a way of like. I mean, the way that you and Bubba, and again, I think at the root of it is Bubba and Matt's relationship that kind of defines the whole thing that like you guys are able to get away with sort of digging at each other and doing these things because you're brothers and you just have a history of doing that. And so it sets the tone for what's, you know, kind of permissible. Right. Yeah. We used to say, you know, one of us didn't like something, we'd say, I... 
sounds like Rush or something. You know, I mean, it would just be a really kind of devastating thing. I, it sounds sort of like Phil Collins to me. I mean, it's okay, I guess, but you do know it sounds like Phil Collins. Like, it's well, sort of like it the does. worst when you're writing, you like come up with a riff and you're like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And someone will just totally say, it's yeah. like the, that's sort of like, you know, poison ish. You know? <laughs> yeah. Is it though? <laughs> Fuck, it is. It's tough dirty to me. I just wrote, ah, oh, shit. I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. You know, that's like, it is, great. you know, yeah. but it's cool that you guys can do this, like that you guys respect each other enough to, and it, it's cool to have somebody that's your friend be like, maybe not so much that, but maybe yeah. this. Yeah, and yeah. it's cool and constructive and it's not malicious, like you yeah. said. Right. Right. Well, and then when, when you're done with all that, then you're drinking beers and having Mexican food, and that's blissfully fun. And it wouldn't work without it wouldn't work without that because the music is often really really fun. But when you're making stuff up together, I mean that the last session there was hours at a time where it was just excruciating. I yeah, feel like. yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But and then you're hanging out and somebody says a funny joke and everybody's laughing and it's just fun, you right? Know? And then 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 the, then the music is fun. Well, we've also times. you know maybe this figures into this dynamic too. We've made a very conscious decision um, that. Bazan and Will are the only singers in the band, and and a lot of songs they actually sing together, um, and so I don't really think of these as songs that Will sings and songs that that you sing. I actually kind of think of many of them as songs that they both sing, and I and I want to do even more of that on the next record. So um, that that uh, obviates some some problems, um, I think. You know, um, so. But that's really exciting for us. Yeah. You know, we we love their voices, so it's just pure pleasure to hear them sing these songs. Well, and when we and Will and I didn't know that going in that the, these guys weren't going to sing, um, that Matt and Bubba weren't going to sing because both Will and I are fans of your guys' singing and your other bands, and I th- I think you guys were maybe not coming right out and saying that from the beginning. Right, yeah. um, but you always knew that that's what right. it was. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think that Will and I that knew. It was and more so, loving manipulation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Strength of persuasion. <laughs> but so when it became clear that they weren't going to do it, Will and I were in the lounge of the studio after you guys had gone to bed because I think we were both, Will and I were sleeping together yeah. that time or something. But, um, And we were drunkenly like, I said, is this a deal breaker? Like, I, w- I was bummed a little bit because I just liked their singing so much. And um, and Will was like, I don't know. Is it? And and I thought about it, and I thought about what that meant. I was like, if they refuse to sing, then I want to quit the band. That's what a deal breaker would be. I was like, no, it's not a deal breaker. And he's like, no, it's not for me either. So it was a pretty low number for yeah, you. Yeah, low number. Yeah, low yeah. Really, it was. Because I just would rather be in the band than not be in the band. And even if I have to, you know, not have them sing. And then there's a way in which... It does make the. It makes everything kind of. I mean, it makes some of the decisions for us mm-hmm. in a way that right. makes this really open-ended, nebulous process a little easier. Right. So I think that I mean, you guys had certain desires coming into this. You know that I think are working out because you're not having to sing. You get to express yourself, but you're not singing. Mm-hmm. And while I would prefer to hear these guys sing, I do think that it was. It's it's been a good it's been mm-hmm. a good choice. Mm-hmm. So where do lyrics come from then? Mostly me and Will, but Matt, um, you wrote a a quarter of yeah. the lyrics, maybe. maybe. Yeah, probably. He'll he'll start a song, um, and have a couple of little blocks of lyrics, and then I'll fill in the ones that I'm singing, and Will fills in. Is giving way? You wrote. 
I, I think the first verse or something like that. And is the yeah. chorus totally Will? No, that's totally Will. Yeah, which really uh, makes, so makes the song. And and Will the the, the quickness <laughs> Dude, with which Will can work is something I've never seen. I mean, you know, he he can go and off and in ten minutes come back with something that's that we all love. You know, that we all think is totally great. But yeah, he that's, imagine if he took twenty. I know. I know. <laughs> it's just. And by contrast, I. I can take weeks and it's still yeah. like a but D plus. No, that, <laughs> Maybe a C minus. You watching you agonize over the the song down below, which I had written bits and pieces of or something. So you felt a need to stick to whatever meaning was coming together from the combination of those bits and pieces and what he had written, I think, in the first verse. And you had kind of had to finish the song under that constraint and but watching him agonize over word choice and and all of the possible meanings of something um is just like comic gold i mean it's just incredible it was just amateur on on display like it it was was really like that's not what i mean that's not what i mean at all it was it was incredibly thoughtful and and um and you take lyrics as seriously as a, a, a poet takes a poem um but uh, but that's what everybody does, and it, you were just very vocal about your your agonizing. So that's what made it funny. I, I actually have a bedhead lyric question. Oh, yeah, um, in the song "Extra Mundane," actually, uh, that song sort of got me into meditating. Oh, okay. In a really roundabout, weird wow. way. I mean, uh. and I know obviously that's something you sing about, and you guys sing about in the song. It's such right. an amazing song. I mean, Thank wh- you. where did that come from? Is that something you got into after before, or is it that just kind of? me just reading too much into everything as um, uh, <laughs> I but I think I say you know I haven't yet tried meditation right. um, and I never did um, although I think I tried to meditate when I was actually I know I tried to meditate when I was a teenager and it was pretty great but I don't have that willpower or mind power anymore um, what about did you try giving up your reason Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, as much as I could, but that doesn't really that work. Doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't really work. Um, I think the only way you can do that is with a stroke. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I that's that's interesting. I mean, but it's it's proposed as a solution, right? Um, but one that I didn't really. I have read to, so much into this. Where I was like, yeah, he probably discovered this thing later, and then was like writing back to when before he had had this grand realization. I listen right. to that record a lot. Oh, I've had you. a lot of weird associations. Oh well, I mean. That's. I'm happy to hear that. That it's open ended enough for it to continue to be useful. Yes, and I recently saw you in the Silkworm documentary. Yeah, which I think that they that was taped a really long time. Like that was taped a long, a long time ago, probably long before 2009. I think eight years ago. Yeah, I remember the trailer came out. Seth put the trailer up so long ago. Yeah, no, that was that after. It was right after Mike Mikey died. In fact, they filmed uh, me talking two months after. Uh, and that oh, wow. he, he died in July 2005. So that I think they filmed me in September at the Touch and Go 25th anniversary. Um, yeah, that was uh, those guys. Uh, I mean, you know, I like you know love them like brothers, and they were just so much fun to play with. Um, and yeah, so but it's funny that it's taken that long for the documentary to, to come out. I it I love it, I, and it's worth it. And, yeah, but it's absolutely. what what's funny about it is that I'm so much younger in that thing. <laughs> Uh, and and I and we all look younger. Well, and wasn't Mikey the film editor in the bunch? No, he he. Well, uh, in among the Silkworm guys, mm-hmm. he actually knew how to do that. Yeah, because um, he edited uh, 
why should the devil have all the good exactly. music? Yeah. Exactly. I didn't know if you meant that he had started editing that movie because they had actually started to film that before he died. But would or he have been the one that would have potentially edited that? Were they making it themselves? No. Oh, somebody no, else. No, was somebody else. Seth, yeah. Yeah. Kind of a, Seth Pomeroy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but I thought it came out amazing. And last time I saw it, New Year was with Bottomless Pit. Yeah, New okay. Year. So that was in 2007 or something. Was Again, it like really? all these, it's so, it so, until before we played our show with Overseas, I guess, uh, you know, two weeks ago, I hadn't played live music since 2009 or something, you know, so. What have, you been, what have you been doing? Working. Yeah. And, yeah. Trying to finish other things and, um, but I missed it and it was really fun to play and now I don't want to stop. It seems yeah. like you guys are doing it correctly where you're playing a few shows here, a few shows there. Yeah. Because if you've spent your life touring, that's how you want to do it. Yeah. 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 It's very smart. Well, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have felt, I haven't voiced this to you, but I felt bad at times because I'm really excited to be playing music again, not having played for so long. And for the most part, having played really sporadically, even when, when I was more active. And, and so I very selfishly want to keep doing it. You, on the other hand, play music all the time. And you've got to be careful about the number of, you know, slots in your year that you you allow for music and um you know and i want you to make more slots available because yeah. i i like doing this but you know well at this point it's not um you know he, what he's saying i guess is like i i tour roughly six months out of the year anyways and so these are just kind of like little breaks from in this particular case i played in richmond virginia the night before last a, a house show uh, and then we're doing these two New York shows, and then on Thursday I'm going to be in New Haven and continue on and just tour all the way back home. Um, and so, but I, I just don't think that there's a threat of the the overseas stuff cutting into what I need to do for my livelihood. That in and it's fun. I mean, it's yeah. genuinely it, it's it's nourishing to me to to play this stuff. So until my wife is just like. Dude, that's it. You know, you got to cut back guys. on this shit. Yeah. And I, I'm going to say, yeah. All right. Cool. Has the show's been, been, what's the audience been like? I mean, is, are there like Pedro fans who want to talk about like Cornerstone and religion and stuff? Or is it a lot of Bedhead fans or is it just a mix? You know, there are people that clearly, that, that I talk to after the show that know my other records. But I get this sense that they're not, that they're like, I like the overseas record. I'm here to see overseas this is great you know because sometimes you do get the vibe of like oh i like your other stuff so much better but it's you know this is a chance to get to see something that you're doing and i haven't gotten that at all that that i think so whatever the mix of fans that it is i I really feel like people are there to see the four of us do our thing that there's something compelling to them about it yeah and that's been great Uh, yeah it does I hope so. It's I mean, validating. Yeah. I think. And we hear uh, uh, your other colleagues said you have more songs. So you're actually playing newer songs. Yeah. That's right. During these shows. So that's exciting too for fans. It is. It's, it's really fun. And, and it, it feels fun to, to be in a band that's already thinking about another record. Um, although this was a funny moment last night. I mean, I, I think we'd all had too much to drink, um, but I know I had. And <laughs> I, I was getting ready to start one of the new songs. And Bazan looked at me and was like, Let's not do that one. And I thought, and you know, maybe this is one of those moments where I was just excited about what I was getting ready to play. So I was in, you know, the 
pleasure zone with my riff, but I thought he was saying he didn't want to sing. I was like, no, no, it's fine. Let's do it. And I, I screwed up every single, I, I couldn't play a single chord. No. It, and then you had to sing through that. And I felt a little guilty that, you know, he had to sing over just chaos. I mean, collapse. It, it, it didn't feel like that to me. I just, we hadn't gone over that. I mean, we hadn't gone over that one. And so yeah. I was a little, I, you know, I was ad-libbing lyrics, basically. You started singing completely different stuff at the end. And I thought that was your way of saying, oh, I, I just, I have to fly away. No, I just, I just didn't want to make up any more lyrics. But it, it was in that, in that sense, you were right. Yeah. Um, and your number was higher, and and I think that it, was, it may not have been worth it. No, it was right. I'm glad. I, yeah. After the fact, I was really glad that we did do it. Yeah, yeah. Even though there was like, it was a clam dig at the, in the first like eight bars. I couldn't. I my pinky stopped working, and it was kind of quivering, and it had to make a. Uh, I had to press down the big thick string, and I just couldn't do it. And so every time I hit that string, it buzzed. It sounded like a sitar. Or something. Yeah, but that maybe then that's what you guys have to go with. with yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's also. That, do you think there's a cutoff? Like drinking wise, like do you go like? Did your body know when you're like, oh, shit, I can't play anymore? Like yeah. for a while, the booze is like great, and yeah. you're like relaxed, and it's awesome. Right. And then, uh, oh, pinky stops. Like, yeah, I did. T- I already, I went over the edge. Yeah, there is, yeah. there is, and and we should have, as far as I'm concerned, we should have started at nine thirty. Uh, I would have been in the zone. It would have been perfect. Uh, it yeah. would have been really perfect. But yeah. I mean, I you know, I was I had five or six before, like by dinner. And yeah. then I just stopped because I thought I, I'm too all over the place. So yeah. I just had coffee, and uh, so I was more or less okay. sober when we played. Yeah. yeah, and I like drinking and playing guitar too as well. But like this, there's like bands like Pantera used to drink like bottles. Of I don't know like how they do that. Crown, yeah. Like a bottle of Jack Daniels or something. Did you ever go to a guided by voices show? Yeah. I mean, oh God, for fuck's yeah. sake! But yeah. even like minus a bear, like my old band played shows with them, and Dude. they would get so wasted and then play like the hardest stuff ever. It's perfect. so precise yeah. how do what you they do. That? do. I don't understand. Yeah. You know, I, I, so, I mean, I, I really tried that in the past and I, to some degree it, it worked out okay. Yeah. But even then, I mean, we got to the finish line at the same time. I'm looking at Walsh now. <laughs> Walsh was in Pedro the line with me and we, we both, you know, did some pretty heroic drinking prior to playing shows and, and after and just all around. And, you know, there's certainly times where, I basically at that one cornerstone, I kind of blacked out while we were playing on stage. And the next day our set had got cut short because we started late because they couldn't find me because I was out smoking cigarettes, which I only do after I've had 15 or 20 drinks. And, um, and I think when Walsh came up or somebody came up and they saw that I was smoking, it was just like, Oh God, (laughs) this is not good. We haven't even loaded our gear on stage yet. So, so we get up there and, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of wobbling. Just everything's kind of spinning. And the next day I talked to the bass player uh, and I was like, man, I really wish we would have gotten to play bands with managers. Like I'm bummed that that one got cut. And he was like, no, we we played it. <laughs> and I was like, we did? And, and he was like, yeah, we did. And I was like, how'd it go? He was like, it, it went it went good. I was like, the bridge, I played the bridge right? And he was like, yeah, totally. Totally fine. It's like, odd, like you know, muscle memory wins again. So right. I think you just, you know, the, it's at its best when there's a, you're well rehearsed, there's a combination of muscle memory and right. you're sort of in the moment uh, interpreting the whole thing. 
and in, inhabiting the song. Mm. And when you just get really loaded, you just erode that that ability to be present and problem solve. Mm-hmm. But the muscle memory does do most of the work if you have it there, which we're right. at a point in this band where we don't have, none of this shit is in our muscle memory. Oh, I know. And I think that's what I realized last night. Um, <laughs> but it's, I, I mean, you know, basically alcohol has a really complicated half-life and every different form of alcohol has a slightly different half-life. And so the difference between, um, you know, medicating on stage with alcohol and, and, and taking clonopin is that it's, you know, the former is just by its nature, a more chaotic experience for everybody. Um, but it's so much more fun. You're yeah. not going to sit around a table and pop pills and look at each other for 20 minutes until it <laughs> kicks in and have a good time. It's yeah. more yeah. fun to drink. Yeah, it's so. like a social, it's, I mean, it is a cool thing, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I enjoy drinking is what I'm saying. And I, yeah. I, you know, and I do love playing music as well. So it's like, it goes hand in hand. And there is a point though, like I just don't understand how guys can do yeah. and I love drinking, but I don't know how you can pound bottles of booze and then go and play. Like yeah. it's just it's so know. bad for you anyways. I mean yeah. that is you can't do that for very long. I I was in and this isn't music, but it's 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 performance. Uh at the Crystal Ballroom in, in Portland, the the buyer, the talent buyer was t- telling me I saw a poster for a Mitch Hedberg show that had happened in the in the last I'm trying to think when it was. It must have been after he died when I saw uh, the poster, and the guy was like, "Did you hear about his two night, his two show run here?" Um, and I was like, "No, I didn't." And he said, "Before the first, before his first set, and it was two sets in one night. Before his first set, he drank an entire bottle of booze, and then took." And then was starting into his second bottle, and by the end of the first set, he had drank and that's not the right word. He had drunk two bottles of booze by the end of the first set, and so he got off stage and he was just totally retarded, like couldn't hardly do anything. And so he suggested to the promoter, like, "Hey, can you go get me some cocaine so that I can write the ship?" And the guy was like, "Yeah, of course." And so they they did, and he ingested the cocaine and it didn't it didn't do it <laughs> it like didn't totally there work there was no balance yeah no. no it's not and so he went out on stage and did a second set and it was like it was like billy the cat just kind of like <laughs> running for his life from himself with you know just standing in place for an hour and he said it he like he w- it was really a valiant effort but that it just was so he just couldn't get control of himself and and his rhythms and and everything and and uh well there's that sad difference between an addict versus yeah you know it, it's it's some people's bodies sally don't you know where it's like, it's like being diabetic you know you're not going to mm-hmm. work that sugar correctly yep. you know yeah. and and some people's bodies can't handle that i'm not discounting anyone with you know addiction or recovery issues but no, it's yeah. like that i knew some guys who toured with him yeah and they said it was just <clears throat> It was just rough every night. Yeah. You would just uh. fall down on the stage. And we've seen that happen with our friends. We've seen that happen with certain bands. But when you're that you know, social lubricant of, you know, get the gears working, it's the same as if you're having coffee in the morning yep. for, mm-hmm. for, for more people than not. Mm-hmm. And to hear you guys talk about it and the fact that you're going through it, I'm loving. Because <laughs> I've heard so many young, yeah. you know, when you're in your 20s and you see bands and... Um, <clears throat> Shit, the band that I played in that that I loved, they had this rule that I was the drummer, that you had two beers and that was it. Yeah. 
mostly because I couldn't play. And also, if you pass out, you don't have to carry the drums That's out. That's right. Car, which is right. very, very smart. Maybe That's you're familiar with this, Dave. Yeah. No, I, I, yes. I've got my own strategies <laughs> for not carrying. But I feel like no one can get mad at you. You have so many songs about drinking. I feel like yeah. it's like you sort of know. Well, and, and you know, you're talking about that line, that uh, how your body doesn't process it right, and the line between an addict and not an addict. And I feel like that there's some of us that... It's there. You really like. I've been on one side of that line in my life where I really didn't. I really didn't know. I mean, where guys, you know, Walsh and people were like genuinely worried, and it certainly wasn't to the degree of self destruction that you know you you hear about Hedberg and and these guys. But it still was like that could certainly be a life defining thing, you know, for the duration and and how one gets on the other side of that. And in my case, I'm not sober, but I'm just not on the other side of that line, it feels like, you know. And so, for instance, last night, you know, I had five or six by nine, by 8 o'clock, 8.30, and then I basically stopped drinking until, you know, for five hours. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't, it wasn't like, I wasn't jonesing or anything. I was thinking about the set, and I was thinking about what I want, how I wanted to feel. You know? That's the statement right there. Is that yeah. you stopped? You're like, ah, I gotta quit this. Yeah, people, there are people who can't who can't do and it, and that's it. And, and, that's, and that's been me in the past yeah. too, where it's just like, you get to three in the morning and there's no booze available everywhere, and all I can think is like, I, I, I just, it, it's not even thought. It's like instinct that you just want, you just want more, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm gonna if there's a bottle in the house, I'll go and drink that and you know and then you're lying there and theoretically asleep but your body's like struggling to process all this stuff and it's just crazy it's just so crazy i'm the same way with m&ms yeah <laughs> peanut or I'm, I, dude i'm not even exaggerating like like there was a time where um people go i can't imagine eating a pound bag of m&ms <laughs> and you're not imagining hard enough <laughs> yeah, yeah. i once was dared to eat like see how many i could eat in an hour and i cranked through 300 that's amazing it was awesome I mean, and sugar the bowel is sugar. Was incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I worked some shit out. Was it diuretic or was it? No, man. Because most chocolate, you know, has a laxative effect. If you yeah. eat enough of it, it's it's almost healthy. That's it's sugar that gets you. That's why right. dark chocolate. You want those flavonoids. <clears throat> yeah, I have this worked out now. But I well, can you know, and that, yeah. I think that's a big problem with booze for me too. Is that the sugar? Like, I'm probably borderline diabetic, and sometimes like I feel sick, and I'm thinking like, why do I feel so sick? And it, it's it's just so much sugar. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you normally drink? Like, what's your normal like uh, show cocktail? Michael sort this out. He's yeah, good. I'm good. Like, because everyone's got different body chemistry, and then maybe yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, what, what's what's your normal like? I, I kind of switch it up a lot. I mean, I I really am a a, a big IPA uh, beer guy. Um, but I'll you know, last night at, at Union Pool, I had gin and and juice, and oh, so you really do. So you that was up. that was great. <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes it's just straight whiskey. Sometimes I'll have. I mean, I'll go. I'll go frat, dude, and, and have, like, Jaeger. Um, Do you have your own red plastic cup that you carry with you? No, for the no, no. <laughs> but there is a joyous... Hotel room parties are sort of my favorite, and there's a joyous thing about getting a sleeve of red name-brand cups and, um, you know, going to the ice machine and, you know, getting three or four bottles of booze and some mixers and just... That is fun. It's so, so fun. You know, and then it the bed is, is right there and... 
at a certain point, I don't even have to kick everybody out of my room. It's just like, I'm going to bed. And so I take off my clothes and everybody's just like, okay. <laughs> like, <"Part is> <laughs> and that's really fun. The party's getting starting. We're going to put a carrot in his ass. And <laughs> I mean, if, if, you, if you listen to, I think it was Slash uh, from Guns N' Roses, as if there's another Slash I haven't <laughs> right. distinguished I from. Uh, but he said he was sober in an interview. And I believe he's like, yeah, I'm sober. I only drink beer and red wine. Yeah. And I was like, Okay, so I guess I'm kind of slash sober yeah. right now. I think Bono like, I was there too. I left too. the hard liquor a little bit, and yeah. I just kind of like beer and wine. I was surprised that Bono like smokes. Oh, smokes cigarettes. Cigarettes? Yeah, like uh. like because you think that like that iconic voice. Yeah, like you get it with Ozzy. Like yeah. you can see Ozzy being like, well, that works. But Bono right. is like, it's like it's an angelic choir. You yeah. know, it's like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, you're Bono, and he's like, fuck you, I'm Bono. Yeah. Uh. Well, apparently he he was sober except for champagne because it was like cel- celebratory or something like this for a minute. I don't know if that's true, but didn't, I who, uh, didn't Matt Devine tell us like Bono took everybody out on the Spider Man when he worked on uh, the Spider Man musical and he was up drinking with Bono until like three in the morning. He's like Bono, I have to go home. Wasn't that yeah. or Matt interview? Yeah, that's yeah, pretty. He wild. didn't sound sober. He said he, like he took out the entire cast of Spider Man. The musical and like literally kept everybody drinking and they were like, dude, I want to go to bed. Bono's keeping us up. And like, I was like, that's the craziest story when you're like, Bono, I have to leave. Like it's four and I have to be up tomorrow. Like I did read with this interview with the killers that they, that you two took the killers out and that there's many bands that had this. There's the Bono talk where he'll go, all right, this is what you're going to have to do to be, you know, the rock star and the front man. And it's like very serious and sincere Bono talk, yeah. Mm-hmm. What you have to do, but is it like insane. a secret that we all don't know? Like you have to have be there. He gives you like a very secret well, message. Think, think right? of the bands that we listened to in high school <clears throat> that are still together. You know what I mean? Like it's U two and yeah. you know Pearl Jam kind of counts. You know, but like yeah. that's it. Like there, there's there ACDC. Not really though. ACDC. That's one of my favorite examples of bands. That whenever people give like. Allison Shane shit if they well they replace Lane Staley like ACDC man yeah like that's yeah that's true but ACDC is one of those rare occurrences where it's perfect where you're like oh shit you guys did how did you do that and it worked perfect that is true yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and nobody it. really cared everyone's like wow it was always, there's not like a, even a Van Halen where there's like a war between ACDC sides everyone's like we're cool with it you keep going right. you just keep writing yeah you guys if, are well, awesome. if Back in Black hadn't been the the first one right. out. I don't think it would have worked. It right. just they just, just made so. like an, a career album with that one, and it just so happened it was with the new singer. Mm-hmm. You know, but when you see Bon Scott perform in videos, he is so yeah. much better. Yeah, he's yeah, he was more of the, the the right fit. I mean, he was, he was a guy. genuine article, and the other guy was just like, he seems like a great guy, but like he's <clears throat> not a poser, but like. It was, right. it was like more of an act or something. Right. That's how I feel about like Becky from Roseanne. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. The, the new Becky it. is the like, new Becky is not the old. Yeah, Becky. it's true. It is true. The Sarah Chalk did some fine work in Scrubs. <laughs> that is true. You know? Yeah, that is true. It wasn't her fault. No, it wasn't her no. fault at all. Have you guys ever thought Sunga Mitch Hedberg and that stuff? Have you ever thought of crossing it over into any comedy stuff or doing any type of like? I remember going to a house show here and like. I was sitting on the floor and I was like, it looks like Days with Horatio Sands. And I was like, oh, because it is. <laughs> Have you guys ever talked about doing anything together or any kind of... M- me and uh, Horatio talked about making a band where he wrote all the lyrics. Um, so, But I don't think that that would even be comedy. I mean, I think that that would be <laughs> some, some other kind of performance art thing. Um, I haven't. I mean, I actually have thought about trying to do stand-up as like a... 
like a way of just eating shit um, and trying you to enjoy it. One it thing harder like, than being in a band. It seems like that. you do it, have to do it already God. to an extent, like right. especially at, at like when you're playing and it's like a living room or something where it's like all everything's on you and you're like, I have to tune my guitar. I don't want to just. Well, I mean, certainly there are moments, but you you can all you always have this other material to go back to, like when things start getting weird, and the idea of stand up where you just you just have to roll with. I also like the idea of certainly you're going to bomb a lot, and being liking yourself and your material enough where it's okay to bomb. Like hearing comics talk about that, and kind of the exhilaration of bombing and being okay with it. I, it's the same thing. If you tell a joke, because um, I know this happens to me more often than not, uh, when we do our, we've done our live shows, that when it gets complete silence, that's almost just as exhilarating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, you hated that? Fuck yeah, you hated that. Yeah. <laughs> that's another thing. Like, Well, Hedberg was a genius with that. Like, He used to, like, he knew, he, he would just kind of riff off of his own jokes, and then he's like, I went too, went too far with that. You know? yeah. and he would just knew, like, and it was still, it was even funnier when he did that, you know? And he was like playing with him. He was his the first audience or whatever. And so, I I've been interested in that. But I and I but I've just thought about like like how okay. So if I was to sit down and write some material, like how the how do you write a joke? I don't I don't even know how to do that. So no. A lot of comedians treat it like being in a band where it's you know if you watch Pat Oswalt, it's it's and he'll do the album. He can like give me track eight and he'll do yeah, it. You know right. he knows it. Yeah. Right. Now how much when overseas plays. How much of the, um, I guess, singer banter is... Or do you guys do the, do you do Q&As? Or no. no. It's really uncomfortable. These guys don't even know, but um, it's really uncomfortable for me because when there's silence in my sets or when there's tension in between songs, you know, three or four times during the show, I say, does anybody have any questions? And then there's this other flow that starts to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm standing there during our shows, and Will and I are the only ones who do banter. Basically, Matt and Bubba just have their backs to the audience the entire show. That's my style too. I like. Yeah. And we and we, me and uh, Will are the face of of the band, and and we're the only ones with microphones. Right. So Will and I kind of take turns, and and Matt sort of is like, okay, between these songs, on the between the first and second show, he was like, so this is I have a big change over here, so this is where you should do some banter to me, and it was kind of the first indication of like, okay. That's something that these guys are okay with and even maybe want. And so we started doing that. But when there's a lull in that and silence, I my impulse is to say, does anybody have any questions? But it seems like so it would just be so wrong to do that in this context. Yeah, no, I, th- I mean, I think it would be okay. But ideally, we could just keep playing. And unfortunately, we have to do all kinds of uh, switchovers and I've got to go back and forth between these two guitars. One's tuned wildly differently from the other and so there's just no way to get around it. Although, uh, last night we we actually worked on some of that stuff and yeah, there was, was less dead air, I think. Well, but one and one of the things that I've realized too that we, we made this record and it's and the record is what it is and I've gotten more perspective on it since the more distance I've got from it where I'll put the whole thing on and be able to zoom out and realize, okay, it's a very specific, it's a weird, it's a very, it, the, all of our sensibilities blended together is is challenging in some way that I can't really describe. I don't think, I think that it's a grower, or it would be a grower for me, where the energy is sort of just a little bit behind sure. the, the, it's not right up on the surface that the energy that is so satisfying about it, to me. Right. 
so satisfying. Our record is so <laughs> it's satisfying. So, I love but it so much. When we yeah. started playing live, I realized, oh, this is this is just downright standoffish. Like this is yeah. In one way, I mean, one way to, to deal with that is to have banner between songs and to relieve tension. And what you said last night was really funny. Something along the lines of you know, this music is so tense, relax, everybody. I, I forget what it was, but it was, it was well put. But, but I, like the t- I like the fact that there's tension between the songs too because yeah. it's everybody's standing in a room and everybody's used to being just out and out masturbated like at these rock shows. Just like forget so much music and so much media is like forget yourself, forget that you're here, escape with us into this other thing. And I think that all of us together, our sensibility is like that part in uh, in Fight Club where he pours lie on the dude's hand and he's like slapping him and being like, stay here, like be present with this pain or be just be present, be uncomfortable, like lean into the uncomfortability of mm-hmm. like we're all these strangers standing in a room and it should be weird. Like this is this is remarkable. And I think that there's something about that where you take something familiar right. and you push it into unfamiliar and everybody has to just sit and think about it. And it's only been since we started playing shows that I really realized like this band is doing that and I'm really happy about that. And so I think that to, for me that informs some of the banter where yeah. I want to say something, but I don't want to relieve all the tension. I right. want it right. to, to keep it to keep it there. Right. No, I and I think that that makes sense. The spacing on a record, if we were playing the entire record and that was it, you know, for example, I think the spacing on the record would be really important to reproduce. I mean, I don't think it's it's random the amount of space you put between songs. Right. Um, it's a part of the experience of listening to the record and you we've somehow decided as a culture that we need one and a half seconds or whatever it is between, uh, you know, for the most part, unless you're doing something sort of experimental with crossfades and, and all well, that. You guys, but on on Beheaded... You guys did, it was like the sustain, you guys let the notes right. sustain for the maximum amount of time that they would pat, be below the threshold of hearing in any normal circumstances. And then the song would, the next song would begin right. with basically no real gap. Uh, yeah, the first record too. Um, but it's, it felt like a gap right. because the, the sustaining notes in headphones turn up loud. You could hear it right. go right up to it. But. Right, right. And and however exactly it's done, I always feel this need to, to reproduce that live when you're playing a few songs that happen to be in, in the sequence that they, you know, that they appear in on the record. And so the ultimate goal for me would be to to do that live. Yeah. Um, and and I think we're we're working towards it. But when we can't, yeah. Um, I, I feel like, oh, the great thing about Bazan having a mic is that he has to talk now. Um, and so I just want to make your life more difficult. <laughs> well, and, and, but then you're getting into the, with the spacing thing, you're getting into the Tommy Chong yeah. thing where you want to start a song with no count off. Right. Where you just, I everybody love looks at each yeah, other no, and I totally you just start it. playing the do, song. We were trying to do that on some of these songs. That is just, very fugazi. You know. And, yeah. That's amazing that they, yeah. that they would do that. Apparently on, on uh, Marin's show, Chicha Chong, we're on there, and Tommy Chong... That's his name, right? Yeah. Was I calling him Bobby? And, no. <laughs> um, and he was in, like, a like a soul band in Calgary when he was, you know, in his late teens and early 20s that ended up sort of migrating down into Detroit, and he was, like, the music director for, like, um, a Motown band. But he said that they were so novice that they didn't even know that you clicked off songs. So they would all just 
know what song was playing. Everybody would look at each other, and then they would just start playing the song. Think that's that's amazing. Awesome. I know we need to work on that. I that would be perfect because you never hear click. Yeah, you know, Just click like off on a record, and then you would really be able to. Um, but do you put together a set list? We do. We do. Yeah, and we're uh, you know we really agonized about the sequence for the record, um, and my brother and I have always done that too. We we are convinced that there is a correct answer, and we just have to find it. And when we find it, there's just no other way any record could have been sequenced. So I think we found that with the overseas record. So it feels really odd not to play that, although we've varied it slightly by putting a song in the middle of the record first. Um, but uh, we have in part using the sequence of the record, but also dealing with, you know, some of these, these the newer new songs. songs. We've put together the live set sequence. And so we're, we're playing that for the most part. Just, well, and, and in rehearsal, we tried it one way. We had, there was some conventional wisdom that right. we were using and it just didn't work. It just felt it dra- it dragged and it right. just was, I mean, and, and you know, we're trying to basically there's two cathartic, truly cathartic moments in 55 minutes set, tr- two songs. And the rest of everything is tension building. Maybe there's three now. And I feel like so we're just trying to balance the the energy of all that other stuff so that those things come at the right time and it doesn't feel too laborious for everybody to get there. Right. You know, that we're not making the tension last too long where people are like, Fuck this, I can't take it. Yeah. You know. Right. They've got to bow out. But right. so it's But I feel like if you're at an overseas show and you're into your your bands, like that's something that is kind of inherent in that. Sure. Yeah, it's an acquired taste anyways. Yeah. <laughs> but even still, you know, you can make it we can make it harder on people than than it than it currently is. I think, right. If we sequenced it differently. And it would right. be harder on us, I think. Right. We we that's a big like part of dying it. on stage. Where does that come from making your audience want to work? It's how I like I mean it's the it's the kind of media that I enjoy. Um movies and, and books and um and records that some, I heard somebody describe the Coen brothers as like just hating their audience and just treating them so brutally. And I just, I thought I, I love the work that I, that I get to do with certain Coen brothers movies where you, it's, it's not obvious the first time that you're rewarded for repeated viewings. You're rewarded for knowing the vernacular of their filmmaking because in no country for old men, when he's lying in bed in a trailer it evokes uh, raising Arizona in a way that's like clearly intentional, but it's not, you know, and he's waking up in the middle of the night, just like Hyde did in that movie. And like, so there's little things like that, that are, that when you do the work, it's rich and it's enjoyable, you know, and when that's, that's more a tourism, you know, that's, that's bringing like the sensibilities of recurring themes throughout your movies, like any it's, kind of it's context or, or, or Alfred Hitchcock, you know, it's like that, um, you know, if you like, like Truffaut film, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that. It's literally having varying themes throughout um, Louis Bunuel or something like that. Um, Coen Brothers are so interesting because they, they do that with found material as well as their original stuff. Yeah. Like I'll watch, you know, in college we watch Barton Fink over yeah. and over and over again. Which Unreal. Is like, that's a hard flick. It's really through, dense. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it, at the end of it, you're just like, how do I feel? You yeah. know? And that seems to be what you intentionally set out to with this record. Well, I think it's just built into the way that I think that I kind of musically why I responded to Bedhead so much is because I feel like that you guys just naturally do that. That, And it's not even a, a, 
a thing that you're maybe even aware of when you're doing it. And the same thing with me, like certain things just come out, like you're sitting there trying to make something and it's not like you have all these choices. There's really just one thing that comes out that you like and all the rest of it you hate. And that one thing that you like, you don't know why you like it. And so it's that, you know, I think that your taste just sort of chooses for you, you know, what, what it is that you're going to produce when, when you're a producer. And so the fact that I sat and watched, um, it's not a a totally difficult movie, but, um, uh, the master, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, latest one. And, was intoxicated by it and just riveted by it is in it. And, you know, and so many people are like, Oh, poo poo. Like it's, that's just my taste. And so it's naturally going to be the case that even though I won't be able to do anything that I think is as brilliant as that, it's going to be as, uh, inaccessible as that, at least, (laughs) you know, if not, if not more, because it requires some amount of mastery to, to communicate effectively and, and all that stuff. And so I think that it's just sort of built in to the way that it goes. And I don't, I mean, you're, you're you can only be so deliberate when mm-hmm. you're making right. a record like that, because so many of the choices are just made for you by what your body is right. going to do. And if everybody else in the room likes it. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think we're really experimentalists in any, any dramatic way. I mean, it's not, you know, metal machine music or anything it's it's and nothing uh, should be and nothing should be all right i mean what's that well just... except and i and i don't know if this has been discussed yet but the single most repeated phrase in overseas world is i don't know that's kind of predictable right right like that that, that there's like there's a there's a built-in desire to if there's a predictable way for the thing to go that it is just a built-in value that it goes the other way, just just because. Um, right, and that I know that's been something you know Bob and I've worried about for a long time. But so I think we, you know, on the one hand, do want to be pleasured by the music that we're making. That's a bad way to put it, and we want to pleasure other people. Yeah. Why not just say that? Um, we want to get people boners, and we want to have boners <laughs> ourselves. Um, but but you can't have a boner forever, and no. so you have to kill the boner at select moments in the record so just that, to make the boner worthwhile. That's right. So it um, feels like you guys are good at drawing it out. I feel like also <laughs> like I feel like yeah. a, like a bedhead song like to me like more than ever or something yeah. is so satisfying from start to finish, but it's also so simple on a level. Well, no, that's that's good to hear. I mean, I I I, I like music that um, seems simple, and and then on further reflection, is is you know doing something else, and and you notice that you know often for the first time when you're trying to learn a song or, or you know figure out what's going on in yeah, the song. Yeah, try to play think, a oh, song the way they play it. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, you realize that's that, a great that exactly. simplicity. Exactly. Is, you know, it's. It's like really downstroke the whole fucking time, right? Yeah. It's it's a very subtle perceptive. thing. It's yeah. a very subtle thing, um, and uh, and yet that's what makes those songs still sound really exciting, yeah. because they were willing to do this one thing obsessively and 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 artfully. Yes. I mean, it's not just about obsession. I mean, it's about and that's what I like that you guys bring to this band is that you guys have a commitment to a certain certain kind of um ethic or something that is super unique to you guys that is unwavering and i'm i i've been unable to master my own output or what i'm doing so much so that i'm a little bit of a whore for any idea that feels like it's it's okay and so i really like that you guys um 
you know, something will come up and you're just like, no, like I realize, <laughs> like it would be so much easier if we, this was the idea and we just went with it. Right. Cause we wouldn't be standing here not coming up with music, but no, like the, yeah. this isn't working. And I, it's sometimes frustrating, but other times I think that it's an, it's a net positive because, uh, because it just, so in that sense, by saying no to things, there is a deliberateness that that is exercised in a way that I'm not, you know, I, I, it's a natural to the way, the way that I do things. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, this is maybe too extreme, but um, but you often do deliberately think of something that's just not quite as satisfying as the part in a song that you know is satisfying so you can highlight what's special about that that moment that, that you're part. excited to play for people yeah um and i mean I don't, we've ne- in this band and you know speaking for myself i've never done this in in other bands i mean it's not like you try to come up with shitty parts um but <laughs> but this is just sort of built into the nature of dynamic music you need to quiet down for a while or you or i mean this is how you create tension it's how you create pleasure it's how you create some kind of aesthetic experience and yeah. it's just the way and and you feel the creation of that aesthetic uh, of that experience as you're participating in it yeah. and you just hope that it'll work for whoever might yeah. hear it and you know you were talking about the auteur dynamic and i think that I do appreciate the fact that people who know my songs, who know Will's songs, who know Bedhead's music in the new year, um, will have a richer experience at an overseas show than somebody completely uninitiated. That there hopefully is something that a brand new person who doesn't even know the record can enjoy and be be brought into about the sh- about the music. But I think that the experience for somebody who has some knowledge about it, it's so much more rich and i think because there there are subtleties buried in everything that you can pick up on and i as a listener of music i love that Uh, i love that about like we're talking about movies and and even you know some if there's like a series of novels or something like this um tv i mean that's what makes that's why tv is so good right now is that you just have way more chance to put each action that a character has takes in a bigger context than three hour movie, Mm. you know? And so to me, that's one of the things that I like about this band is that there, I do think there are rewards for people who, um, who are, uh, already involved with us. Yeah. Uh, And and I would, you you guys are coming with an invested audience anyway, individually. And when you put all four of you together, it's, that's pretty uh, all-encompassing. And a lot of music can be really dark. There aren't a lot of rewards. No. <laughs> Most yeah. of the time, it's someone yeah. who yeah. does. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I think that it, that, that mirrors life. I mean, I think that most of the, most of the so-called joy that, that, we, that we think we're experiencing is just so it's false. And that those, those little moments of actual, like, redemptive experience in, you know, a human being's life is, you know, it should be honored by not being repu- rep like trying to be replicated by a bunch of drunk assholes on a stage like to, to me like the the that those moments have a place of honor and should that we you know that they should only be expressed when they're when it's a true expression that that does justice to those things and that every and that all the rest of it should be detailing the tension mm-hmm. that makes that release you know 
possible. And sometimes every now and again, somebody, an artist will be able to express that redemptive moment in a way that is beautiful and profound. But in my opinion, it's just a waste of time to, that's going to come when it comes and doing justice to the, to all of the shitty tension that makes those moments important is, is what I feel like my job is and what I like to do. But underneath it all, I, I really want people to like every bit of the record, like every part of the record and, uh, and, and creating tension, creating dynamism, whatever these things are, should contribute to that. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I want to like the music that I listen to and like is sort of a complicated word. You know, I mean, I, I, I want to be listening to it as I'm listening to it. And I want people to be listening to every bit of this record as they listen to it for what, what, for whatever particular payoffs they may get. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, so I don't mind if it's, if it's dark, if, or if it's demanding at times, but I, I, I would feel like we failed in some ways if it were so demanding that someone thought, nah, fuck it, I'm going to go to the next song. That I would be upset by that because I think it all fits together. But and it it's depends worth, on who it is. Depends on who it is. And I do this with records myself. You yeah. know, there are some songs I just don't like, but, you know, I wouldn't tell that, you know, I wouldn't tell you, for example, that <laughs> yes. I skip pretty much every song on a page of the line. But, but, yeah, but is it, that right? But then, you know, <laughs> In in certain circles of mine, I get I get called a music snob, and yeah. and I just I'm like you you have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. Like, yeah. let me introduce you yeah. to this guy, Macadane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I force myself to listen to songs on albums I don't like. Yeah, it's my instinct to skip it. I'll right. be like, no, don't. Right, it's I, hard. I do too, and that's in part how I know. That that in, in, informs in part this desire that I have to keep people from doing that, yeah. um, because well, but, I sort of feel like the record that I'm skipping around on is a little bit of a failure. But do you? So for me, especially when we're talking about tapes, and it's informed the way that I listen to, you know, other not like non cassette, all the music that we that we yeah. hear now is that with tapes there would be a Fugazi record where I would like seven of the. 12 songs or 14 songs or eight of them and but they were evenly spaced throughout the record and so sometimes i would have the you know i would be focused enough on the listening experience where i would fast forward exactly or if you have the the, the special thing that found right. the gap right. or whatever and but there was plenty of other times where auto I would just, reverse we called it <laughs> where i would just listen through and eventually come to love every single song on the record right and it, it was just the, the the ones that I really ended up responding to were an acquired taste, just like so many other things. And so I, I kind of wonder, like, I feel like making a record that has demanding things and things that are going to be an acquired taste, you, you know, if you're doing, you can't deliberately do this, but that a perfect record for me is one that hooks me in enough where I'm going to listen to it, but mm-hmm. I still don't love every bit of it. But then by listening to it eventually... I just come to know and love every every bit of it. And right. Sometimes there isn't enough hook on the record, so it's a it's a friend's recommendation. Mm-hmm. It's just like seriously, mm-hmm. just give give this five times. Right. And you're and I think you're going to find something that you really really love. And I I'm sure that the overseas record, most records are in that in that window where it requires right. a recommendation or you know you really love Will's voice or right. you know whatever that keeps you listening to the jams that you don't like. Right. But to me, that's a big question just with music in general now. There's a Bill... Ca- I mean, there, the Bill Callahan is somebody that comes to mind. Like, I think for most people, you'd have to be told, like, seriously, there's going to be a huge reward if you 
just give this time and that it might not be obvious right off the bat and Mm -hmm. i think that we might be one of those bands what do you think that is though like that this it's very interesting because like i had a friend growing up like when we were you know first listening to music and i would skip like i'd be like i I, obviously if i'm not loving this song within the first 10 seconds it's done and right like i remember just being like he's like you just got to give it a few listens right it doesn't make sense why should i and then more than ever right and yeah and then you give it a few listens and you're like Oh, wait a second. What? Right. It wasn't because it's like each right. time you're processing it in a different way or where you're listening to it in the car. Oh, maybe if I wasn't in the car, maybe if I was at home just chilling and, you know, and at or, my headphones. Room, or headphones or something else, you know, and I just feel like now it's well, like you, I, don't, I don't know what you're saying now, especially because well, I just feel like with it's so much the Internet instant gratification. It is. Mm-hmm. It's, and I remember, I mean, I used to listen to like, for example, with cassette tapes, I would just I'd muscle through it. I would yeah. just go like. Well, I'm not so into this song, but I'm driving. And then eventually, like you said, you'd listen to the full album and you're like, oh, I get it. You know, or I, I songs that I, t- I thought were clinkers. No, not a clinker. I kind of like this now. Yeah. That might be my favorite song now. You know, yeah. like, but then commuting into the city all the time, even when there were disc, when I had my disc man. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I would, I remember picking out albums just to listen to on the train and I would listen to that album. Like I, I committed to it. I'm listening to this album. And now... It's just everybody, you know, like I feel like I could. You yeah, skip, I mean, you could do you know. that with a record, though. You could pick the needle up, move it however you want, and skip yeah. songs. I, just, I had a professor in college who was, it was a music class, and uh, we were sitting listening to something and uh, symphonic. And I was sitting there and just bored out of my fucking skull. Yeah. And he came over and went, pay attention! And yelled at me, and I'm like, die! And he went, listen, man. Yeah. Like, listen to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And quit zoning out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? All right. I still hate it, yeah. you know, but like I was listening to it and I could say why I didn't like it, yeah. you know, and it was, it yeah. was that lack right. of apathy. Right. No, better. I think that's, I think, I mean, there's some records that just aren't good. And so you skip around because they're actually bad songs on the record. <laughs> um, I mean, I love the who, but there are only maybe 20 good songs there. Um, maybe 15. Um, they're great, but you yeah. know, anyway, but yeah. then there's, and the really good ones, we'll just keep it going for about yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, but then there, you know, there are records that are really good and, and, and people have to be convinced to listen to them. And I think partly why that's the case is that we have sort of superficial and, um, and limited expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, yeah, I mean, there, Bill Callahan's written some great songs. And, and what um, someone who doesn't know that, 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 you know, quirkiness, to use a word that mainstream culture uses and that really annoys me, is often a part of, you know, indie culture, right. he's going to sound really strange because he has a, a, a kind of preternaturally low voice, yeah. and, you know, and he's very monotone and blah, blah, blah. But um, when those songs are great, like Jim Kane, for example, yeah. what a great song, um, you know, you'll get it if yeah. you just give it time, if you just change your expectations. Um, and But that's that's part of the problem. That's why I've actually liked making slow music in so many ways. Our expectations are for electric guitar and drums and bass and vocals to show you a good time. That's um, right, yeah. It's got to be about more than that. I mean, still what we're talking about, if we're just nebulously saying aesthetic pleasure, is being shown a good time on some I mean, higher we, level. But you know what I mean. Maybe uh, higher Being shown a good time like versus enjoyment that is a little bit more... Yeah. Refined. Lasting and, yeah. and, and meaningful and, you know, transformative. Um, but, but yeah, I do think this is like the thing. And, you know, why is slow music singled out as being slow? Music has mostly been slow, you know, <laughs> I mean, in the history of music. And, yeah, it really is the, the exception to the rule that 
it's there's fast music. Right. right. There's something really nuts about really fast music. It seems like there's something wrong with people making it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that was Overseas, uh, part two, Too Fast, Too Furious. Or, um, uh, <laughs> part two. Red, white, and red, white, and overseas. Overseas two, electric boogaloo. Um, Overseas 2, the sequel. Empire Strikes Overseas. So if you like that, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll I watched, keep going. I watched uh, Barrett watched E.T. the other day. E.T., mm. the movie. How'd she do? She was fine with it. But I, I, uh, I, made, I, made a, I made a good joke. I said, E.T., the sequel, is titled E.T. Time Out. For, it's all about him and Time Out on the spaceship because for wandering off. When I know, right? Down. I mean, he was really bad. Um, did you guys, did I talk about Home Alone too? <laughs> Have I talked about this recently? No. Uh, no, but you were great in it. I watched it recently with, <laughs> with um, some friends, and uh, it's so weird how scary they make New York. Like, at that point, it's so interesting. Like, Macaulay Culkin goes to Central Park, and it's all these prostitutes, and, like, his mom looking for him at night. They're like, you can't go out in New York City at night, even to look for your lost kid. Like, it's so funny how scary they make everything look and you walk around now and it's like everything's like it's hard to even and there are imagine people like that. brad who missed that time yeah mm. yeah totally it's just it's so, it's an interesting movie to watch now it it's also so fucking violent that's really how, when i first saw home alone i was like this is violent Dude, and there's dumb. a scene where he's just throwing bricks off the roof of a building and hitting hitting uh not joe pesci the other dude in the face just over and over and it's like daniel stern yeah it's it's really crazy. Like, I feel like you would never get away with that now. Mm. It's like they made it into a cartoon. Yeah. I love I think it's movies. good to teach your kids that if they're home alone and strangers break in to kidnap them, they hit them in the face with a brick. Don't call the cops. Get a brick. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, these two adults are just trying to, like, murder this little kid the whole movie, which yeah. is also fucking insane. Like, the whole movie really is Did you really not, weird to watch I'm, as an adult. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Especially if you're high. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure Home Alone like inspired Lars von Trier's to make most of his films. <laughs> Think about it. It's, Think about it right now. <laughs> While you're thinking, get on your computer and go to facebook.com slash going off track. Going off track on Twitter, going off track everywhere. Just Google us. You can find all of us on the internet. We're easy to find. And if you want to throw us some dough, hit the donate button. Whoa, dough, donate. Why didn't we think of that before? Oh, I got to um, go back and re-edit everything. Oh, also, I don't... I would like to say I have an article out um, in a new publication called A Fire Theft. Um, it's an online thing you can get through Apple Newsstand about creativity. And the first issue is out now. And I interviewed Fred Armisen. And it's a pretty cool interview. And the next episode, or the next issue is with Wayne Coyne. And it's going to be also I, Did really you interview cool. Wayne? I didn't. Uh, you know who did? Jason Pettigrew. Right on. Who I hope will um, be on our podcast someday, editor-in-chief at AP, because he is an incredible guy. He is a great, So, great And then person. I have another one coming up after that with someone equally awesome who you'll have to tune in to see. So check out A Fire Theft. It's an Duh. app, and it's online, and it's all about people's creative process and a lot of stuff we talk about on the podcast. And when you're thinking about it, go download the album The Fire Theft, which is yeah, a Sunny Jamie Enoch. Jammer Enoch. It's a great spinoff yeah, from it's, Sunny it's, Day. It's, it's a great it's, record. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, see you next week.